Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, hey, hey. What's the buzz? Tell me what's a-happening. This is Pyromaniac Mo coming at you. August 16th, we've taken a bit of a break on the Pyro Light podcast, but we, we are back and rolling stronger than ever. We've been cooking at Pyro. So Pyromaniacs out there on the intrawebs, we've got Pyro Pro, which is now available. Uh, this is the one thing you need in your arsenal to demolish your competition. We've been firing off podcasts heavy. Uh, I've done some recent mailbag video shows where I've answered listener questions. I did a great interview with Matt Waldman from Football Guys and his RSP. I did one from uh, PFF's own head writer, Pat Thorman. Um, you can find that one as a podcast on iTunes. We're available on Stitcher, on Spreaker. And guys, give us some good karma. Leave us a review. The goal is that we are slowly creeping up the rankings. We're more readily seen and available to the FF fans that are out there. You know, I'm always pleased to hear from the Legion of Pyromaniacs. Um, it, we are Legion. As Azog the Defiler said, we are Legion. You can always reach me at Pyromaniac Mo on Twitter, and you can certainly hit the rest of the boys on Twitter at Pyromaniac. That's P-Y-R-O-M-A-N, the number one, A-C. Speaking of the rest of the boys, I am graced this evening to have the one and only Houdini with me. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be here with you, Mo. Yeah, it's great to have you. We've, uh, we'll get into it soon enough, but we've recently done a very involved uh, mock draft that was uh, quite exciting. And, you know, before we jump into everything, I know fans out there, uh, in episode three of The Light, I got the sort of the quick, low-down and dirty seven-day creation story from D-Rex on uh, how he created Pyromaniac. You know, God came down from on high, turned his hair white, and Pyromaniac was born, and... Uh, um, he reciprocated and told folks how I was emailing all of you guys saying that uh, you were my favorite by far. I value your advice more than anyone else's. Uh, and that sort of started us down our uh, own path. And here I am about two years later. Why don't you share for the folks, how did you get involved in Pyro? What brought you to uh, the Pyromaniac Nation? So I came into Pyro back in 2011 and when I was coming on board, it was basically that it was pretty much just D-Rex and Dogmatica that were doing everything. So they really needed someone to help out that, but you, they weren't going to take anybody. You had to prove your chops and knowing fantasy football. So the benefit that I had was all my years of experience playing in multiple dynasty leagues and, and basically in my main leagues always being the person who was doing all the weekly write-ups, I used to do recaps for all the different fantasy teams in my league that are now pretty much done by all the major websites now. Uh, so I had a 
kind of show them all my breadth of my work. I had to really earn their trust. It took it took a while before they finally allowed me into the brethren. And then uh, I got on early on when they were starting with the podcast. And then from that point on, since 2011, I've just been full on ever since. And uh, so happy that uh, I found it and they found me. And likewise, and we are just growing leaps and bounds. I love the direction we're going. And, uh, you know, certainly pyromaniacs are very lucky to have uh, all of us, especially you out there, your your knowledge, your um, ability to manage and get it in, inside all of the leagues and bringing in your past experience is just second to none. And I'm certainly luckily uh, to, to have you at my beck and call when I need. Um, recently, I've been firing off some surveys, trying to get some pyromaniacs involved a little bit more, and that's really been fantastic. Um, so if you're interested in getting involved more with the pyromaniacs, I just did repost at pyromaniac mo on Twitter, posted some of those surveys. We'll talk about them as we get going. And I've also been really interacting with a lot of folks on Twitter and email. And we had an email from Jonathan Hackney. Um, Fukin, I'll say, five-star baby was his subject. Jonathan Hackney says, I've been listening to you cats for five years when I moved over to Chicago for a chick. Smoking hot, the podcast that is. Very thorough, in-depth. You've helped me jump up on Keenan Allen, Andre, Ellington weeks before they blew up. I usually draft on gut feelings, along with betting, but you guys give me more reasonable perspective. I just bought the draft kit, version number four. Uh, four years later, four years too late, he says, I'm a piece of shite, he says, but 20 bucks, I was on recreational drugs, what can I say? I am not now. Just want to tell you guys I dig what you do, and if I can figure out how to get this iTunes thing going, you're going to get hooked up. Please send me what I need to pay for Pyro Pro. And as I said, folks, Pyro Pro is out there, and we always appreciate the iTunes reviews. Give some love back to us. So without further ado, you know, I just want to, Houdini. Yeah, I just want to kind of throw in and, and, and really say thank you for that type of review and really want to let everyone know when we've strived to do with Pyromaniac is always to peel back all the layers and really show you the fan, you know, it, it's the old motto. It's not about giving, giving you a fish and feeding you for a day. It's teaching you how to fish and feeding you for life. And we want to give you all that information so that you understand where we come up with what we come up with. And it's not just pulling things out of left field. So uh, it, it's just a pleasure when we get reviews like that. So I, I love it. it. makes my job that much better. Yeah, it's cool to hear back from the folks and uh, answer questions and just, you know, because it is a labor of love and we spend hours doing this. And guys, send them in, please. Let us know. We know you're out there, but it does our hearts good. And it, you know, it makes me want to be all the better, all the more accurate. Go that extra distance because I love hearing stuff like that. So, Houdini, let's dive into what we know and love. Some Huey Lewis and the news and notes. Uh, Houston, we all know about Arian Foster. Um, latest estimate now is we're talking more maybe four to six weeks. Uh, earlier, they were talking months. I know he we went to get a second opinion. But they've brought in guys like Pierre Thomas, uh, Ben Molina, Joe McKnight. You know, I'm personally not sure that, there is a starting running back currently on 
that team. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, as it is right now on Rotowire, the depth chart has Alfred Blue, uh, then Grimes, Polk, Hilliard, and then, of course, Foster at number five. Uh, I dropped Arian down. He's down in my 30s, but to be honest, he's still the first Houston back I'm taking. He's for me as well. I He is still currently the highest rated uh, running back uh, in my tiers on Houston. And he's becoming a very interesting player now as you're going to be coming into your drafts. You know that he's got this injury. You know that he has a past where he has been checkered with lots of little nicks and dings and that always kind of creep up on him. Uh, but now it's a matter of, well, where is he falling to in drafts? And, you know, we even saw it, uh, as far as even in the, in the draft that we did with, uh, Pyromaniac on the podcast last week. And Dogmatica, uh, was the one who reached up for him and actually took him in the sixth round. So now it becomes an interesting risk reward and you have to be, kind of balance yourself when you're looking at Arian Foster and saying, are you, banking on it, maybe saying, okay, I'm going to have this guy for that second half run, and I know that my my initial running back two is weak, so I'm going to grab him, and I'm going to spend that draft pick mid-round, sixth, seventh, eighth round pick on Arian Foster for the potential of what he brings at the end. I don't know how you feel about it. I, I think it's risky. I like the potential if I really have a great team built up, but I worry that I'm leaving myself too thin, and with his injury history, he comes back and maybe only gives you a game or two before before turning it south again. Yeah, I don't have the crystal ball to tell me what he's going to look like when he comes back. And once again, just to reiterate, we will talk about this. But, folks, if you want to check it out, follow me on Twitter. I did pin um, the survey where you can chime in with your two cents, and you can also see the draft board. I'm sure I know we're going to make it available on uh, the draft kit. But just to let folks know, I believe he went right after Devonta Freeman and before running backs like LeGarrette Blunt, Trey Mason, uh, uh, Bishop Sankey. So that's kind of the most recent reaction to the news as to where he's getting. And looking a little further, uh, Blue in their first preseason game, he was the best one of, of the bunch there. Nine attempts, 59 yards. Uh, Hilliard, 13 for 39. Polk, 10 for 29. Um, also had a couple of receptions, but really nothing much to speak of. That's why I'm not sure they've got a running back on chart, on their depth chart right now that's going to start with them. Quarterback not looking much better. Savage in that first game went 8 for 14, 97 yards, one touchdown. Mallet, he went 10 for 11 for 90 yards. He, he didn't look too bad. Hoyer, he was in and out, went 2 for 4. Now, guys, if you want to know more about this, uh, we discussed particularly DeAndre Hopkins, and I think Houdini and I were actually the ones that got into it on uh, the draft. I believe that was show 189. That was the mock draft on the Pyro Heavy. So if you want to hear some of the effects that we feel this is going to have on guys like DeAndre Hopkins, um, check that out. Check out uh, episode 189 of the Heavy. But there's some other people to consider, too. Who else is there, right? We've got Nate Washington. We've got Cecil Shorts. We've got Jalen Strong. Now, CBS Houston just reported Nate Washington appears to be the favorite so far to start opposite New Hopkins. Looks like Shorts has the runner, uh, the front runner for the slot position. Uh, now, in the limited time we saw them play in the first preseason game, both Shorts and Strong each turned their one reception into a TD. You know, they've got sub QB play, uh, lack of running game, and I'm not sure I'm 
taking any of the Texans and maybe not even Nuke Hopkins. What do you think? Yeah, I think the Texans are a team that becomes a very difficult situation. You have a quarterback situation that's still in flux. You don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. And whether it's Hoyer or whether it's Mallett, um, or even if it were Savage for some reason, you're just not going to get super consistent play out of that, uh, out of that uh, position. What does that do? Well, that in turn, you know, when you got the Nate Washington, Cecil Shorts, and Jalen Strong, who are all battling for this number two or three position, uh, it becomes a, a position that is so devalued in fantasy because on this team where they are going to focus on shutting down uh, the passing game because they're not going to be afraid of anyone that they have at the running attack. I think if you take everybody else that was left uh, outside of Arian Foster, I don't think they averaged much more than about 3.2 yards per carry last year. So you're not getting impact runners. Uh, with Nate Washington, I like Nate Washington, but he's an old, you know, wily vet. You're probably not taking him and targeting him until like a wide receiver six on your team, most likely. And then Cecil Shorts is one of those guys that's, He's weird because he's going to pop up and he will give you a couple big games. His one catch was a 58-yard touchdown. And and with Jalen Strong, you know, it's potential. But I, I look at Strong as a guy that I'm really not going to see major blossoming from him until we get into the second half of the season. Yeah, like I said, we had a really good debate on, uh, I believe it was show 189. Folks, check that out. I even had a great one on Twitter uh, the other day. Twitter is another fantastic place for uh, – Fantasy football debates and stuff we all know and love. Pyromaniac Mo is my Twitter handle, and then you can catch the rest of the boys. P Y R O M A N, the number one A C. Keeping up with the Huey Lewis and the news and notes. Uh, moving down to Hot Atlanta. Uh, the third wide receiver spot is kind of an interesting one. Now, this is going to be for deeper uh, leagues, deeper rosters, uh, but we got the 3 H club there. We've got Hankerson, Hardy, and Hester. Now, Hankerson, he played under Kyle Shanahan over in Washington, so he's comfortable with the system. Uh, Andrew Hirsch from Falcons.com called him, quote, and we're talking about Hankerson, quote, the most impressive receiver in camp so far. Clearly, Hankerson, he's not being draft, drafted in the vast majority of, malie- of leagues, but let's remember, big-time role that Harry Douglas played last year when either Julio or Roddy was sidelined. As we all know, Douglas is a titan. So there might be some balls, especially under Shanahan's offense, uh, especially if old man Roddy or J.J. gets banged up. Hankerson, I could see being a waiver wire guy down the line. Let's not forget Atlanta, fourth easiest wide receiver schedule this year and the first easiest in the first half of the season. You know, I I look at Hankerson, and I don't know that I'm sold on it. I I saw the news that you're talking about where he came out, or they were saying he's been the most impressive guy in camp. And then they have their first preseason game, and he doesn't even have a catch. So um, it's it's a wondering that he may understand the system and whatnot, but I wonder how his real fit is with the team there. And a guy who I think is probably going to be more apt to probably taking over that role, especially as the season goes on, is going to be the rookie, uh, Justin Hardy. And Hardy is the guy that I think is just kind of going to be the right fit to be that third wide receiver that you're going to be able to pair with your Julio Jones and Roddy White. And that's why they drafted him. And so, you know, maybe you're bringing in a Hankerson or someone who knows the system so that he can also help to, you know, kind of teach and, and bring those younger mm. guys along. Interesting. Yeah. Um, somebody who's going to know the system and make it all that much easier to learn the Shanahan offense. Interesting. 
the Arizona Cardinals, Michael Floyd, we all know, out for uh, four to six weeks. Uh, if you've been listening, uh, you know I've got some John Brown love. Uh, I think he's the one that's going to probably step up um, as my computer has just decided to uh, restart on me here. I'm going to go from a bit of memory here. But uh, John Brown, we all know he is Carson Palmer's BFF. Uh, they moved in together. Uh, and last year when Palmer was uh, 6-0, and he had three touchdowns. That was the most out of any other receiver. I believe he tied Floyd. And depending on which resource you check, um, he had the most targets according to uh, Roto-Wire. Yeah. Listen, he had 102 targets last year. So you look at a guy on a team that was quarterbackless and you know still has the likes of, of Fitzgerald and Floyd there last year. He was a guy that was seeing a lot of targets and say so he was only targeted under five times once, twice. I'm sorry, twice all season long that he had less than five targets in the game. So I like I like his progression of what he's going to be able to do. You really have to like him, especially for the breakout standpoint. And you know. His he averages fourteen point five yards a catch last year. He's a big play type guy. Arians loves to throw the ball deep. He is gonna find a lot more openings and it's Carson Palmer stays healthy. Wow, it's gonna be you're gonna get some great value out of John Brown, and he's going so much later in drafts, it's amazing. Now, one quick question I've got for you. Uh, who do you have higher up? Do you, in a standard league, do you like uh, John Brown? Do you like Fitzgerald? Do you like um, Malcolm Floyd? Well, not Malcolm Floyd. Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd. <laughs> excuse me. Michael Floyd. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm not sold on Fitzgerald. I, you know, the, the age and, and just the diminishing returns, it's just one of those guys that I just will tend to avoid. John Brown is pretty much the only guy on that team that I'm kind of going after more. I have a problem with Michael Floyd even before he broke his fingers in the sense that I've had him last year in like two or three leagues just completely burn me, and I'm not going to let him do that to me again. Now, I know Dogmatica feels differently, and he, he's still willing to reach on him and has him moving up his tiers. Uh, but again, then you just add these the three broken fingers, and I, I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, that's, it's just another reason that I'm liking John Brown even more. John Brown's body. And moving right along to the Chicago Bears. Houdini's neck of the woods. What you got there? We got disaster in Chicago. Uh, and the name of the disaster is Kevin White and a stress fracture in the shin. So <laughs> it, it, it seems to be no matter what happens for us Bears fans, uh, no matter if you bring in experienced uh, coaching staff, experienced uh, uh, guys in the front office, the first time that they make their very first pick, it's always a problem. From Phil Emery and Shea McClellan, <laughs> and the disaster that that was, to now Kevin White, uh, the, the first highly vaunted pick, uh, supposed to be able to, to make a major difference in the, in the passing game for the Bears. And he's going to be on the pup list. He just had going to have surgery. They're going to insert a rod into his tibia. So this is not good. Um, after six weeks, you hope that he can come back. But if if he's able to not be able to make it back by week 11, then he could be out for the whole year. He's become now a complete risk. The Bears are going to be a horrible team. Uh, if you watch their first preseason game, their defense is still atrocious. They're still not able to stop anybody. Um, and their offense was still 
inconsistent under Jay Cutler as they're learning this new offense. So, um, unfortunately, Kevin White was one of the guys that we actually had pegged as a, a real interesting guy to watch and to see how he would develop in this first year. And it's just been cut off at the, at the shin, uh, from the very get go. Yeah, that's rough news for him. He was arguably uh, right up there with one of the top, David T. Thomas, you know, top three. Loved him. Um, certainly going forward, you know, he's going to be okay. But redraft leagues, that is going to be a big, big issue. Moving on to a segment in honor of Jules Verne, 20,000 leagues under the sea. Especially this time of year, we got so many cats starting leagues, wanting to try out something new, a uh, new rule, new change, something to spice it up with a bit. And we've got the man of many leagues, Houdini himself. So you got any tips, some suggestions for uh, ways of spicing up a league? I think it's just a matter of, Figure out how you want to do it because make it your own. Make it different. When I was first starting off my leagues, um, one of the things that we wanted was that we wanted there to be a skill set where, you know, we're not just going to give a credit to everyone who, you know, for getting yards. Like you have so many leagues that they give you a, a point every 10 yards. Well, we had leagues that started and you weren't going to get a point until they at least got 70 yards. So now you're really focusing on the guys who have the bigger games then there was, an, in conjunction with that, you would have bonuses for when they get to 100 yards, 150 yards for running backs and wide receivers. You'd have the 300-yard bonus for the quarterbacks. But the quarterbacks weren't getting any points until they had passed for at least 180 yards. So you really are taking away um, the the players that are getting you the 30-yard, 40-yard receiving games. They're not worth anything in these type of a league. So you're really looking for the impact guys. And then, you know, that allowed you to then have to really focus on who can win me a week. And so when you're looking at guys that you would draft in those leagues, you want to go after the John Brown type guys. You want to go after these guys that have the higher splash type numbers than going after, you know, the the Marcus Colston, who's going to give you 40, 50 yards and, and an occasional touchdown. So, you know, that's one way. I, I think that whatever it is, though, you got to make your league unique. So my main league that I've been doing since 1994 uh, is a league that goes through the entire regular season and the playoffs are in the playoffs. So you take the fun of having a full 17-week regular season. It gives you a better chance, especially in head-to-head leagues, where you can have a great team and you just have a horrible set of matchups that you end up being out of your league after week nine. Well, in this league, you have 17 weeks to make up for that. So there's there's a lot more opportunity to be able to, to right a wrong ship. Um, so I think that's something that's exciting. I know that D-Rex and Dog Manica, they love their league where you have to start a rookie. And I think that's something that's really cool, too, because, number one, rookies used to not be as impactful in fantasy as they are now. But now with the amount of impact that they do have, when you have a roster spot every week that has to be occupied by a rookie, it completely changes how people draft. You know, when Cam Newton had come out, he was a first-round pick. You know, so when you have those type of guys that can make that impact, because if you have that, when Cam in that rookie year, he put up so many points that it was a, it was a great pick. Now, does that sometimes skew it for the, the years in the future? Absolutely. Now you get some people who are reaching on rookies when they should be drafting other players. But I think when it, this is the, it's the dynamic that 
when you set things up like this, it may not, you may not know what the real effect is or what the best way to draft in that league is until you do it for three or four or five years and see kind of what happens. And so it, it kind of makes it a more level playing field for everyone at the beginning and, uh, and, and really puts your onus on, you know, your ability to, to, to really figure out the strategy that's going to work, you know. And that's what we all love is the, the strategizing, the strategy. So if you can bring in an aspect like rookies, so we are now following guys we may not have followed before, uh, that's the, the reason I love fantasy football is you're not only just cheering for, you know, local TV, your local teams or, uh, your, your college guys that went elsewhere. It brings in everybody. And if you can include more positions that matter to you, you're going to be following more positions. And I love what you said about writing the wrong ship. Too many leagues, um, you're, you're dead before it gets going and, and that stinks for people. You know, you stop playing, you stop trading, uh, and, and that's just not that cool. So the longer you've got to um, fix things, get things turned around, the longer you can really play, the better it's going to be. You know, another point that I want to make for the, those people that are in those leagues where it's only a regular 13-week regular season, and as you're saying, they feel like they're mm-hmm. doomed and gloomed after they start out right. one and four. I hate where you are defining who all the playoff teams are by head-to-head record. So especially, let's say, for example, you have a 12-team league, and you're going to have, let's say you have two divisions. So you're going to have your two division winners are going to get automatic buys. And then you still have um, another, uh, uh, I'm sorry, four more playoff spots that you need to fill. So I like, I'm fine with if you want to go to the next two playoff spots, go to the teams that have the next two best records. But either with the, the last two playoff spots or at least for sure the very last one should not be determined by record. It should be by points. So that way a team who is one and four does have something to play for. They're playing for to keep their total point level up there. So then they're still actively making trades and you may end up having that last team that gets into the playoffs with a, you know, could be a five and eight record, but they just had horrible matchups and were the best scoring team out of everyone that was left and they still get to advance to the playoffs. We had a guy write in, and this was um, the, one of the first times I've heard of it. It was called Victory Points. Houdini, or I'm sorry, Stag said he was familiar with it. But basically, you get 50% of your points from the head-to-head records, and then you get 50% of your points from these victory points. So the victory points go if you beat in, I forget how it was, but if you beat, if you're one through four, if you have the, the top one through four points, you get two victory points. If you are five through eight, you get one victory point. And if you're nine through 12, you get zero victory points. So if you win your head to head, you get two. And then if you're the top scoring team, you get another two. That's a 50 50. Or if you're the top, you know, six, you get two for winning head to head. And then you get one victory point. I like something like that where it's, a little mix of the both because we've all had it where you're the second highest scoring team in the league and you just happen to play the highest scoring team. And that's just a kick in the pants, man. And you can't stand it. So any way that you can make it a little bit more fair, I still love the head to head. You got to call your buddies and text them and and give them the business. But uh, the victory points, I think certainly keep people in it longer. And that's what you want. You want 
rivalry. You want people to stay involved and stay in it as long as possible. That's exactly what it is. You want to make sure that everybody, all of your owners are engaged from the beginning of the season to the end of the season and so that you don't have you know, teams that just, well, okay, they decide that they're out of it midway through. They're hardly setting their lineups. They're not making the waiver wire pickups that they need to, so they're allowing the other teams, and you get to get in these leagues that become unbalanced. And you really want to have a balanced league where everyone is out there giving all their everything they got. So that was also why I got into dynasty leagues because yeah. then it gave you a reason to say, okay, um, if you're bad this year, you'll still be able to rebuild next year based on different moves that you can make. Now, I will also say that we have come up with ways to prevent people from tanking <laughs> in those leagues as well. Uh, important. It is important. So, for example, in, in one of my uh, keeper leagues, it's a 14-team league, and we do have a rookie draft every year. That's two rounds um, for players that were selected in the NFL draft. And you can redshirt those players for up to two years. But the, the order for the, the draft is determined by a lottery system. So the team that has the worst, uh, the worst record gets a 40% chance. Now, we've been doing this league since 2004. Since 2004, the team that has had the number one best odds at 40% has only come out with the number one pick one time. <laughs> so... That right there is is no reason to sit there and tank your whole season away. So right. you know that has helped, and and, and again, it's you got to come up with ways that we also restrict people from being able to add players after a certain point in time in those dynasty leagues where they're then deemed as contracts XXX. So that at the end of the year, you have to drop those. You can't keep them. So that's like anyone that's added from like week 11 on uh, can no longer be kept uh, going into the next year. So different rules. Yeah, I like, you know, Dynasty, you know, you're extending the season. I've, you've got your rookie drafts, you've got trades that come out all year long, so you're involved all year long. I also like to where it's set where you can have those victory points or you're not out of it. You've always got something that you can kind of pull ahead. And then anything like a, a rookie or, um, you know, increasing tight end receptions or something where you are looking harder and longer at other positions that you may not have looked at before, increasing the bench sizes. Those are the things I think are interesting and keep people going. I, I want to I jump on that, too, because I, I agree, especially when you get into these leagues that are 10-team are leagues, and when you only have 10 teams in the league, everybody's bench is going to be so much stronger. So yep. at that point in time, it makes absolute sense that you're either going to make the if, – if you I would say you shorten the benches in a 10-team league, uh, yep. or you add extra starting spots and say, you know what, you're going to start three running backs and four wide receivers. Totally. And now, all of a sudden, now there's reasons for other things to happen. There's reasons for people to make more trades. Uh, you know, and even in my one, my one 12 team league, we, we go two running backs, three wide receivers and a flex. And like you mentioned, our tight ends start scoring points at an earlier clip than our running backs and wide receivers in an effort to try to make the, the positions balanced so that when you're sitting there, you're going, well, this player may be definitely better than this tight end, but based on the scoring system, I really need to consider this tight end here. And you can play them, you know, each week because that flex can be any position you want except for quarterback. 
we got to have a whole show on this because I think right now, especially, a lot of guys are spicing up leagues. Guys who haven't talked in, you know, nine months are talking again. Someone's got an idea. Hey, have you heard of this fab budget? Hey, what about this? I think this is an important topic for right now, ways to spice it up. And you're really you trying to be inclusive, and you're trying to watch more positions of a game we all know and love. And even right now. We're watching the camp battles uh, all along the watchtower, stuff that we're checking out in camps. Now, folks, if you've been listening, you know I am an Ivory apologist. I am a lover of Chris Ivory. Now, in that first game, uh, fairly even, really, Bilal Powell, eight attempts, 35 rushes. Chris Ivory, six attempts, 25 rushes. Breaks down roughly about the same. <clears throat> Zach Stacy, uh, not so much, three for nine. Now, I recently shared my love with Pat Thorman. Uh, that was turned into a podcast. If you want to really get inside some ivory numbers, check that out, because Thorman's got some really unique ways of using Vegas numbers. And it turns out, Pat, um, the way Thorman uses the Vegas numbers, ivory's looking good this year. But essentially, the Jets only won four games last year. This year, they're predicted to win seven and a half. Now, as we all know, if you win more games, chances are you're running the ball a little bit more. That's right up Ivory's alley. Last season, in games when he carried the ball at least 15 times, something one does when winning, uh, his average yards per carry was, I believe, four. it rounded up to about 4.7, which, ironically, um, is almost what his yards per carry was in 2013 when they won, ta-da, eight games. So they're basically predicted to win eight games. That's when he averaged 4.7, and that's what he did when they ran the ball 15 times or more. So I think he's going to go up from a 4.1, and he's going to be looking at more of a 4.7, 4.6 yards per carry. His ADP is starting to go up, which scares me a little bit. Now, some other cool stats that I really like about him, out of backs that handled the ball 25 times, 25% of their team's carries, according to PFF, fourth most elusive back. The dude broke 52 tackles. That's fourth in the NFL. I created a chart called Top Positional Weeks. Now, he only spent, in weeks one through five, he only spent three weeks as either a top one or top 12. So a running back number one in a 12-team league. He spent three weeks there. But he spent eight, six, 50% out of the 16 weeks, he spent eight times he was a running back number two. That's pretty good from where you're drafting him, although, like I say, he's going up. We got him, I believe, uh, eighth round in our mock draft recently. Yeah, and I'll tell you, he he is going to start moving up the charts for me. I have him currently at number 42. I think he's going to probably end up closer to, to, uh, to to the low 30s. And one of the biggest things I think he has going for him is that Geno Smith got sucker punched in the jaw, and he's going to miss the time. Now you're going, to, you're going to have a competent quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick. You have great weapons on the outside with now Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. What you really have to like about Brandon Marshall, too, is that he's a, a great blocking wide receiver. If I'm not mistaken, he may be the best blocking wide receiver by statistical analysis in the league. So that is one thing that, that he has always done. So Ivory is going to finally have a little more balance. It's going to have the, the professional quarterback. And as you said, he does. He's a hard runner. The, the guy just, that's why he's breaking all those tackles. You remember back when he was on New Orleans and the success that he would have in that offense? Yeah, yeah I, I definitely think that it's, it's starting to, to, to move up. Now, the, the problem, as you said, 
Is it going to keep creeping up by, by the time the people who are drafting two and a half, three weeks from now are going, no, why couldn't you just stay where you were? And I was right. the value. <laughs> right. That the value is not, ain't what she used to be, right. but you know, they, they've got Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker. I don't think they're going to be able to stack the box. If we're drafting today, love the value. Got to keep following camp and got to keep following those ADPs and see what happens. Uh, real quick, I'm just going to breeze over this one because we talked a lot about this in our last, uh, the mock draft, which I encourage you guys to go out there and get. Everyone knows the big news. Uh, ben, Big Ben talked about the Steelers. Wheaton as being his number two. Uh, um, Antonio Brown, obviously, number one. Uh, but Martavis Bryant moving into the slot with three wide if you're Interested in this news, which, folks, you should be. We did talk about this in our most recent uh, mock draft. Go check that out because that is certainly going to affect uh, where these guys get drafted. Don't get me wrong. I still have Martavis going up higher than Wheaton, but I did change my tiers a bit with this news that came out. Um, Houdini, we've got a camp battle everyone's tuning into down south in Dallas. What do you think about what's going down in Jerrytown? Well, the problem is, is I'm looking at a lot of these camp battles with running backs, and there are situations where you had the stalwart, like in Dallas, DeMarco Murray, who was all world last year. Now he's gone, and you're left with Joseph Randall, who is – uh, looking like he's going to be the guy who's going to take over that role. You, you finally, it, it, not until this week, do you have all three running backs there healthy. So Randall's now 100% healthy. Darren McFadden, uh, who was uh, sitting on the pup list, he's finally back and able to play. Lance Dunbar finally just got back on the field after missing 10 days with an ankle sprain. So, you know, I still think that when you look at the situation, I know that Joseph Randall's been being pushed up everyone's board just because of the simple fact that, well, look at that offensive line. Look what they did for the DeMarco Murray last year. Remember, DeMarco Murray was still doing a lot of hard running there. Joseph Randall is a guy to me that, yeah, he can give you these, these nice, awesome flashes and things like that. But as, as far as people who want to, you know, vault him all the way up, uh, I mean, he's moved up my tiers and I, I feel I'm being pretty generous with him. Uh, at, and I'm at number 26. You know, I know there are some people that are having him up in, into the top 20. I just don't know that I'm, I'm, I'm buying on that. So, um, it's interesting. So that I, I'm keeping my eye on that one, but it's in Dallas as well as I want to bring in another team that I, has also been a turmoil of injuries in the running back backfield. And that's Atlanta. You know, yeah. you got Devonta, Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, both with hamstring injuries. So your number one starting running back is, was sparsely used in, in his time so far in the NFL, but he made some nice plays when he gets put in there, Antone Smith. So Antone Smith goes into the first preseason game, and he left with a hamstring injury. So <laughs> we've talked about them in our other podcast, too, and all I will tell you is all these people, anyone of you out there, who are thinking about waiting on your running backs and you're thinking about any grabbing anyone from Atlanta, I really say I would stay away. The hamstring injuries scare the hell out of me. When you have all the guys that are dealing with the hamstring, they all know that they have a potential to win playing time. They're all going to push themselves to get back potentially too early, and I worry about re-injury of those hamstrings, which are just deadly, annoying injuries that plague fantasy football every year. Yeah, I dug up some because uh, uh, people are torn with uh, what's going on in, in both places, in Dallas and in uh, Atlanta. Dallas Randall is flying up ADP charts. 
Um, Freeman never passed the eye test for me. Uh, I dug up our old dear friend, David T. Thomas. Uh, he, he says Coleman, uh, speaking of his last year in college, 264 attempts, became the fourth fastest rusher to reach 2,000 yards, and he actually got there quicker than Barry Sanders. Um, he's just the third Big Ten rusher to reach the milestone in regular season games only, joining um, Melvin Gordon and Larry Johnson. Average yards per game, he gained 7.54 yards per carry. Not only broke his own school record, but that was the fifth highest among 18 2,000-yard rushers in FBS history. Also finished second in the nation in rushing yards per game, about 170. And all-purpose yards per game, a little over 180. Ranked third yards per scrimmage. Here's the one I liked. Finished second nationally with school season record of 1,100-yard games, and he tied for second with six 150-yard games and four 200-yard games. Now, I know this is college. I know it doesn't always translate. Uh, I'm not as excited about the line down there, and they're changing things up in Atlanta. But if I'm going to – certainly if I'm going to take a roll on one of them, I'm going to take Coleman – but again, this is why all along the watchtower, you got to watch those cam battles, especially they don't get in there that much. So you really got to get your eyes on a guy and see what you think. Coleman is one I am really watching. Uh, what do you think about, yeah, uh, before we move on to Arizona? I just want to say about Tevin Coleman, the thing is that dog keeps preaching that he's not a guy that can break tackles. So that's what I want to watch for when I'm watching him play in these preseason games. Is he able to shed a tackle because he does have the breakaway speed? And I agree with you. Devonta Freeman did not pass the eye test for me. No. And I like the situation. I, I like he's got two, arguably some of the two of the better wide receivers, if not the best with Julio wide receiver in the game. Defenses are going to have to play him honestly, but yeah, if he can break tackles, I think he can get that one cut and run. He just needs to be able to fall forward and break some of those tackles. Uh, another one people are really looking at is uh, Arizona had a good showing. Ellington had a good showing. What do you think about the uh, Arizona backs? I think it's, it's very interesting because they're in, in discussion right now to uh, potentially sign Chris Johnson uh, to a contract. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Andre Ellington, I think, is is the guy who I think has the best potential to, to still be successful. And, I, you know, you're going to have the rookie, David Johnson, who I think is going to have a, a, a bigger role in this offense as well. But Ellington, in order for him to have that ultimate success, even though Bruce Arian still says he can see him being the absolute load-carrying back, I don't want him to be that guy on a week-to-week basis. I don't want him to take all the the really difficult carries that, that slow him down early in a game that he doesn't necessarily need to. Let David Johnson take some initial carries early on in downs. Let him be the one that's kind of breaking down the defense and, and weakening it so that Andre Ellington can do what he does best, which was when you look back at his rookie season, it was ridiculous how effective he was every time he touched the ball. But when you kept working him and you overwork him and you get to that point, that effectiveness completely dropped off last year. Yeah, uh, that's the difference between a 5.5 yards per carry rookie season and a a 3.3. And he was used almost 100 100 times more, Uh, about 80 rushes more. He was, uh, according to Roto-Wire, 201 attempts last year versus 118 the year before. And I think with the David Johnson, 
I think we're going to see more or less what we saw in 2013. I think he's more of the 5.5-yard guy than he is the 3.3, as long as he's not overworked. And, and that overworking is huge. Think of it this way. With the 80 more carries that he had, he finished with eight more rushing yards. Eight more rushing yards. So this is where you see, you know, the same type of thing happened when Giovanni Bernard was getting pushed into becoming the, okay, well, now you were better than Ben Jarvis Greenello, so now all of a sudden you're our de facto number one running back. No, it's really not the type of runner that he is. Leave him in the areas that they're going to be successful and don't try to just project oh, I'll just extrapolate and, and, and add another 150 carries and figure he's going to do the exact same thing that he did on limited basis. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, I'm hoping they find a nice amalgam of a mix between those two boys. Um, what do you think about uh, Tampa? Well, what's what's a camp battle you're watching there? It's It's not necessarily a camp battle. I'm just watching Jameis Winston. I, I want to mm-hmm. see this guy. I believe that he can, you know, be a viable uh Quarterback to to be picked up as a, as a backup quarterback this year uh, for your fantasy team, and I think that he's going to have some potential again because it, the receivers he has in Mike Evans and Vincent Jackson um, are huge weapons that are going to allow him uh, the ability to take chances and to try to squeeze some balls in and take take more because those are go up and get it guys, you know, and you want to have receivers who are going to fight for balls when it's a rookie quarterback. Now he was very inconsistent and did not look great uh, in his first preseason game uh, against Minnesota. So he showed some decent flashes, but it was, it was really ugly from the start. But I think that the good news that you have, if you're a person like me who believes in Winston is that um, you're seeing the Buccaneers give him a lot of playing time in this first preseason game. I think he played basically the, almost the entire first half. So, they're going to give him a chance to come out of this and they are committed and going with him and they're not backing off of it. So at least from the rookie standpoint of where his psyche is, it has to be in a good spot because he's getting all the the right things from the coaching staff at this point. And I'm hoping he get, he's getting a, the right things from a Vincent Jackson. That's one reason I think Vincent Jackson could potentially be a bounce-back candidate. I'm hoping that he takes uh, James under his wing and molds him the right way. He doesn't run as far down the field as an Evans, and I'm thinking Jackson uh, might be a little bit more open. They might bond to have that relationship with Winston, and I'm thinking that could be very positive. Of course, it could also blow up in my face, too. But I've got Vincent Jackson as top 20 as of right now, wide receiver. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I believe he's exactly number 20. I'd have to check my mock. Now, speaking of our mock draft, uh, this was huge, and I wish we had more time to talk about it, but what was some of your reaction? And for folks that don't know, uh, we basically had a, a PPR 12-team mock draft with myself, Houdini, uh, one of our boys, Justin, OC, Dog, of course, Stags, uh, and then D-Rex. A couple of us drafted two teams, and it ended up being 12. We didn't use a flex. Um, other than that, everything was, you know, uh, pretty much standard. No, no, it, um, it is a flex. This was a flex league. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. It was a flex, but it was a flex, but only two wide receiver. Correct. Right. I knew there was a, a caveat there. Two wide receiver and a flex. Uh, so what, what were some of your initial reactions 
to our mock. And folks, by the way, if you want to get in on this, this is something I pinned on my Twitter. It's Pyromaniac Mo. Get in. I've got three votes for you. You can have a link to the draft board itself, and you can vote for who you think had the best draft, the runner-up, and who had the worst draft. This is going to be open all week. You'll see me posting it. Hopefully we'll put it up on uh, the Pyromaniac website. Get in on the action and use it to influence your tiers. This is a hot fresh off the charts draft and uh, use it to influence what you are drafting with. So Houdini, what were some of your reactions? Well, you know, again, we always say you got to do a lot of mock drafts because once you, once you do the mocks, you can start to see how things are turning out. So one of the things that I, I'm always key on is what's going on with Rob Gronkowski. You know, mm-hmm. is Gronkowski going to be a first round pick? Well, in our draft, he was not. But Staggs took him uh, with his second team, which had the number 10 overall pick. So he grabs Gronkowski in the second round. And, you know, at that point in time, I was saying, okay, I kind of like that. It's not a bad spot. You're not reaching into the first round for him. So he's still got Demarius Thomas with his first round. So that's strong. He comes back in the third round and gets Calvin Benjamin. And then he grabs his first running back in the fourth round with Jonathan Stewart. Now, at, after this point in time is where... I'll also give him credit because he gets Drew Brees as his quarterback in the seventh round. But when I look at who are his wide receiver threes and his running back twos as potential, um, his initial running back two is Joyke Bell, who's got some injury issues. A guy who he's got behind him, who we just talked about, who I think it could be a, a reason that, that makes this team a lot better, is Chris Ivory. Uh, but then it's Alfred Blue, Lance Dunbar. I didn't like any of those other guys. And the same thing with the third wide receiver, because after Demarius Thomas and Kelvin Benjamin, he doesn't draft another wide receiver until round nine. So then you're sitting with Brandon LaFell, Dante Moncrief, Philip Dorsett. Okay, well, that's a lot of question marks that you're throwing out there behind there. So he did just grab Travis Kelsey, so he grabbed two tight ends. His idea is that he can go with the flex being Kelsey and starting Gronkowski. I just still just look at a team that drafts Gronkowski. I just don't like how the team ends up. So that, that's what I'll say about that one. Go ahead. What did you got? Now, I've got a, a lightning round question for you about Gronkowski with that later. One thing about it's called Stags 2. The one thing I did like, I actually did like because it's, it's somewhat of a super flex. You can play the tight end in the flex spot. I liked the fact he grabbed a Gronkowski and a Kelsey. If they're both uh, coming out firing, you're starting them both, no problem. Gronk could easily be a wide receiver, number one, as he has been in years past, or he's got some trade bait. But like you say, uh, just looking at his running backs, Jonathan Stewart, injury prone. Joyke Bell, super injury prone, and a guy he's been giving me a lot of flack about. I can't believe he took him. Uh, and then he's got Ivory uh, Blue, Lance Dunbar just don't like the running back situation there. Moving f- directly from that to, and I, I feel like I'm picking on him, but you know what? I host with him, and so since he's not here, <laughs> I'm going to get it, get in those shots on him. Um, the, the other thing with the Stags number one team, C.J. Anderson, love it. Love it off the bat, and he followed that up with A.J. Green. I like that. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Golden Tate, okay. Jimmy Graham. But then the running backs. So he's got C.J. Anderson, which is good, but the rest of his running backs, Devontae Freeman, Bishop Sankey, Tevin Coleman, and Matt Jones. I mean, honestly, how many of those got C.J. Anderson? 
But besides that, is there a running back one in the bunch there? I, I don't think so. I think what he was hoping on is that by grabbing both Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, he's going to come out with one of the guys in Atlanta. But as I've already said, I don't really think I want to deal with that entire situation. Right. Um, so, and, and again, you're right. Everybody else after that is a risk. Sankey was absolutely atrocious last year. Freeman didn't pass the, the smell test. Tevin Coleman has to, to deal with this hamstring injury. And Matt Jones is playing behind Alfred Morris. So, yeah, you got – I like the top of the draft again. And, and this is another guy, when you look at this team, he was heavy on the tight ends. He drafted Jimmy Graham in the fifth round. Well, that's where he lost out on, you know, running backs like Giovanni Bernard, Isaiah Crowell, Joyke Bell, Doug Martin, and then he was – into where he was taking. So I, I think it maybe would have been better off uh, waiting on Jimmy Graham. Uh, so again, I'm just not liking reaching for tight ends uh, in, in these, in this draft this year. Nor am I. I'm like uh, waiting on tight end. Uh, go for it. I want to talk about your team, your Mo two team. So right. this is your second team where again, knowing that we're starting two running backs, two wide receiver and a flex, you were the only team that decided to draft three running backs with your first three picks. So, What did you think of that? I did this specifically. So, again, this is the first team that took three running backs, boom, 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 right off the board. Yeah, and number one, Jeremy Hill. I love the Jeremy Hill pick. I know we talked about that in that podcast. Justin Forsett, I, I don't know that I'm on board. Uh, I think I would have probably taken LaShawn McCoy uh, at that point in time or or Matt Forte ahead of him. DeMar. DeMarco Murray was even available at that point. Yeah, I, I, and I would probably still take DeMarco over him too, I think. Um, yeah. And then you come back in the third round, and I, and I like the pick of Frank Gore. Um, although it, you, you took Frank Gore over Latavius Murray, and that was the one question I wanted to ask you because I figured after you had gone with the first two running backs, now you're going to go with the third one, that I would have thought you would have gone for Murray as the guy that has that huge splash type ability versus uh, the steady Eddie guy in, in Frank Gore. I really do like a Murray. Uh, it, Roy Helu worries me a little bit more, so I'm not sure exactly how long he's going to be out there. And, and when I'm going to put up Gore's body of work versus it's either 83 or 82 carries for a Murray, I'm going to take Gore almost any day of the week. Now, it depends on the balance of my team, and I preach Justin Forsett up and down the river. I love Justin Forsett, but I've got my doubts. So with a shadow, just a shadow of a doubt, I, I wanted the security with a Gore versus the upside of a, of a Murray. And I think Gore in the system he's in, Pep Hamilton loves to run. Uh, he's going to be catching passes. I, I liked the security over the home run potential of a Murray. Well, I'll tell you this, too. So then you went with your next three picks after that, all wide receivers, which I think is something that you would have to do um, if you're employing this strategy. So, you know, when you're waiting that long to grab your first wide receiver, and for you it was Emmanuel Sanders, followed by Julian Edelman and Deshaun Jackson, I, I think that those are all decent wide receivers. You're not coming out of there really looking bad in any way, shape, or form. You just don't have that, that A number one guy. But – you know, it's not necessary. Right. It's again, it's PPR, so that's where Julian Edelman's going to get a nice uptick, and and you grab some other uh, veterans in Roddy White and Larry Fitzgerald later, and I like the upside with Cody Latimer toward the end of the draft. So, well, the one let's look. I want to let's look. Yeah, go ahead. 
Let's look at the number four. I mean, I, I love the element there, but let's look at the number four. I took Emmanuel Sanders. I felt he was the best wide receiver at that point. Other guys left on the board. Martavis Bryant, Golden Tate, Andre Johnson, whom I might have actually taken, except I already kind of had the, the gore. Uh, Keenan Allen, Jarvis Landry. Would you have taken any of those guys over Emmanuel Sanders at that point? You know, it's hard to say. Probably not. I, I, I'll say it this way. I personally probably like Martavis Bryant more this year than I like Emmanuel Sanders. But if I'm employing your strategy where I'm using this as this is a PPR league and I need a number one wide receiver, I feel a lot more comfortable with a guy in Emmanuel Sanders who did more uh, showing last year. Also, that has the potential, God forbid, if something were to happen to Demarius Thomas, we'll see a huge uptick. He should also, I know we know that he's going to see a reduction because of the change in the offensive scheme that they're running there. But at the same time, he shouldn't fall off all that much, you know, that dramatically far off, especially considering they don't have Julius Thomas. And he's the guy that still runs and runs routes over the middle. So I think that Emmanuel Sanders is, is, was a smart pick there for you. Now, the one thing I think that where I, where I, uh, I only problem I have with this team, because I love what you did at quarterback. You grabbed Ryan Tannehill in the 11th round, but yeah. you waited till the 14th round and took a shot on, on a second year tight end. But at the same time, you can, you can easily be able to rectify that situation through waiver wire pickups. So. That's what I was thinking with uh, James Winston. Uh, as I said, I think Vincent Jackson's going to have perhaps a bounce back here. He doesn't run the, those deep of a routes as he used to. I think Winston, if he gets in trouble, he's going to look quick to where Jackson's going to be and even in ASJ where he's going to be. And like you say, 14th round, I've got no problem streaming. I'm always going to make the caveat with streaming. I, I do employ this strategy, but you have to be in a league that you can pick up every single week. You can't be in one of those uh, leagues where they limit pickups or they limit the times you can get it. You've got to be active and you've got to be able to, to pick up guys at will. And I've got no problem streaming a, a tight end if ASJ doesn't work out. Let me let me talk about a, a Dog Banica's number one team. So this is a team that I I have to I have to make I have to call him out on this because I even asked him this question on our podcast. I said he, his starting quarterback, which he took in the ninth round, is Sam Bradford. And so l- let's go down his team. Um, his first pick was Antonio Brown. Then he took Matt Forte. Then he took Brandon Cooks, T.J. Yeldon, Joseph Randall, Arian Foster. And this was indeed after we knew uh, the Arian Foster news. Then he takes Kendall Wright, Jordan Cameron, uh, Sam Bradford, Julius Thomas, Marquise Colston, Jonas Gray, Michael Crabtree, Danny Amendola, and then Seattle Seahawks and Matt Prater. So the question I had posed, I said, I know that we all like Sam Bradford. We all think that he has potential. And I said, but dog, do you want to draft him as your number one quarterback? And he said, no, I want to draft him as a backup. And then lo and behold, he drafts him as a starter here. So it's worrisome to me because he also didn't grab any backup. And this is a guy that has injury problems on his own. Um, he grabs the Arian Foster in round six, which we talked about earlier was an interesting move, you know, taking on the chance that it's going to be a nice payoff in the back end. But when you wait until round seven to grab your third wide receiver, and that's Kendall Wright, 
I don't like these wide receivers. You know, I love it up top with Brandon Cooks and Antonio Brown, but God forbid something happens to one of them. You know, you're left with Kendall Wright, Marcus Colston, Michael Crabtree, and Danny Amendola. Uh, I don't like it. I, I think Crabtree might be someone that, that is a surprise and, and that that becomes a nice value there. But I think there's a lot of ifs, and I don't like playing with a lot of ifs and then also drafting the if in Arian Foster in the sixth round. So I just wanted to say that that's all. I had to poke a dog a little bit on that one. <laughs> I'm going to uh, – and with the dogmatica thing, I actually – I like the Sam Bradford. I've got no problems taking Bradford as my number one. Going back to last – year with chip kelly we're talking mark sanchez and Foles. each guy Foles had eight games sanchez had nine now i only did the tpw top position of weeks for weeks one through 16 because who the hell cares about week 17 but counting Foles and sanchez in weeks one through 16 they put up a total of eight weeks where they were quarterback number one that's 50 percent of the time and that's Foles and Sanchez under a Chip Kelly offense. If Foles and Sanchez can do it in 50% of the time, as long as he is healthy, I know Bradford can do it. And let's say Bradford cannot stay healthy. Uh, who were some of the guys that were available? I might have uh, mistaken. Now, Carson Palmer was taken, so I believe... Bridge, no, Bridgewater was taken as well. Cutler was available. Dalton was available. Kaepernick was available. So if you're playing the waivers, those were some of the guys that uh, could have filled out. Or Tony Romo, Ryan Tannehill, Matthew Stafford, Joe Flacco, Phillip Rivers, um, all those players were available. Tony Romo was taken in the 10th there by Staggs, number one. Yeah. So, again, it's... If if you but but this is this is what we also preach. If you believe in in something, and if you really feel that this is the right move, don't don't be hesitant to pull the trigger on it just because some other pundit is telling you not to. You know, if if you have this this belief, and if you have all these numbers, and you have all this thing that's it's convinced you in your mind, believe your mind, and go with it because you're going to be better off. I see what you're saying. So what? But when he took Bradford, there were still guys such as Romo, Tannehill, Stafford. Those guys were all still on the board when he took them. Correct. I got, I got you. And now let's just say things do go wrong. Still on the waiver wire, though, you know, was a, a Dalton, a Cutler, Kaepernick, Carr. I, I've got no problem streaming. I've got no problem doing a late-round QB. And I think I can, uh, with Vegas lines, with strength of schedule, with injuries, I think you can cobble together a mighty strong team using the late round QB theory. And uh, I'm really, I have no problem going week one, Sam Bradford, quarterback number one. Yeah. You know, I, I think of it this way. I, I understand all that, that philosophy. I just don't have enough faith in it to, to go with it as my number one. If I can get him as my number two, um, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with that. And I, and I did it in, in this draft. Uh, I, my Houdini team one, where I was drafting out of the number two hole, I waited until round eight to take a quarterback, uh, and I took Eli Manning with the eighth pick. And then I took, on the ninth round, I came right back and took Tom Brady. So this is where I wanted to be. I kind of like having those two quarterbacks in that type of a range. Uh, I know D-Rex doesn't like to have to worry about, well, who do I start each week when I have two guys that are, that are close to each other? But with those both of those quarterbacks, once Brady, if the whole suspension thing gets figured out, 
you look at matchups and, and you're going to easily be able to tell when each of these guys has a better matchup because they both got great weapons to throw to. So uh, I was fine with that. But I understand what you're saying. If you do end up having people go and you look at this draft, this is 12 teams and there are still quarterbacks that are out there. So know that there is movement that's going to happen. And you also have a lot of teams that were taking two quarterbacks in this draft. So um, it just goes to prove with tight end and with quarterback, those are two positions that I definitely think you should be waiting to draft and really load yourself up on these wide receivers and running backs. And that's what it, that's what when I look at this mock draft as a whole, that's what it's telling me. I noticed on Houdini number one, you did take uh, that's when we're talking about. You took Eli and Brady. And then you also took Charles Clay and a Dwayne Allen, two and two. Now, I'm normally of the mind to go one quarterback, one tight end, because I don't mind streaming. Sometimes, depending on the situation, sometimes I'll go two, two of one position. So maybe two quarterbacks or maybe two tight ends. Rarely will I go two and two. Rarely will I take two quarterbacks and two tight ends. Got no problem doing that? Well, again... This is one of those things where I'm drafting in two different positions, and I I want to tell you this right off the bat. I, drafting out of the number two hole, I did not like it. I really don't want to be in the top four. I want to be somewhere picks five. I concur. Five through ten, ideally, is where I want to be. Um, I, I think that the value becomes so much better there. So as it came down to the end, I, I reached up for Charles Clay in round 11 because that was a guy I wanted. And then as it's coming back to me at the, the end, this is basically my last – uh, pick that I'm making of any position player, the, the depth that was left at wide receiver was really weak. Um, you know, there was really just not a whole lot left. And Dwayne Allen was a guy that's like, okay, well, I'll take the potential with the touchdowns here. This is just, and again, this is a, a flex league, so you could potentially play two tight ends. Not that I would, but I thought that of all the players that were left out there, he had the best value. So, um, but ideally, I would tell you, I would like, to do my draft more like I did with my Houdini two team, uh, which was drafting out of the uh, seventh hole. And I like the fact that I loaded up on uh, wide receivers early, was still able to get a Lamar Miller and uh, in the third round. And I like Giovanni Bernard, especially for a PPR league in the fifth round. And then another running back in round seven with Shane Vereen. And then also round 10, Reggie Bush. So I kept adding Running backs that are PPR guys that have these, these, these flashes and I give myself enough depth, but with the, I love having the, the two wide receivers to start and I get Des Bryant and Mike Evans. That's a hell of a way to start off. And then I got Martavis Bryant in the fourth round. So where you passed on Martavis Bryant, I stayed with Martavis Bryant there because I already had the security of those top two guys. I could take the risk on the guy who only had 26 catches last year, who may only have 50 to 55 catches this year. But if he can still be, you know, the big play guy that he was, wow, does that pay off as my wide receiver three? But it's a lot safer as a wide receiver three than as a wide receiver one. One thing I was really surprised at was uh, my Mo 2, but that's the team I actually like the best, and I went with three three running backs right off the bat. Uh, normally, I don't like that. I am a late-run QB guy, and I, I do, if I'm picking one through six, I do want to lock up a running back number one, but I very easily buy into the late, um, the I guess some people call it the upside-down, drafting upside-down strategy. Paul Charging calls it. 
uh, do the opposite. But I, I very easily buy into that. After I've locked, locked up a running back number one, there's so much volatility in the running back position. Normally, I'm of the mind to lock it up with safe guys, wide receivers. I mean, you look at the top 15 wide receivers, they are there year in, year out. Top 10 quarterbacks, year in, year out. Most of those positions. Running backs, that can vary drastically from year to year. So I am more of the mind that an RB2 is one of the least important positions. I mean, you've got guys last year, if you think about it, that, that came out of the woodwork. C.J. Anderson, uh, you've, you've got you know guys from week to week. Asiata came out. Brandon Oliver came out. Um, you had Forsett come out. You have guys that you weren't even drafted that were coming out that were very suitable RB2s. So my big surprise was, Feeling that RB2 is usually very replaceable and not as important. I really love drafting three running backs right off the bat, not having to worry about it after that, and then trying to lock up with some uh, home run and balancing it out with some wide receivers. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's an interesting strategy, you know, and it's one of those things that's it's all going to be interesting to see how where total points falls out, right? So by taking one of those other running backs. You know, what you also did was, though, is that you hurt other teams that were waiting on running backs because now you've just completely pushed them down an extra notch. And so maybe you're you're starting uh, the flex as your third running back or you're, you're going a different route, but you have a lot more flexibility and, and it kind of messes with other people. That's why I love when you add the flex position in. Um, I just like it a lot better when you also have to start three wide receivers and then add a flex. It's just that, then that flex position really does become just about any position. So, uh, which, which, which is interesting. So I want to make one other key point about uh, a, a, a thing that you just said. Uh, knowing that the top quarterbacks and wide receivers don't vary as much. This is one of those things that for any of you guys that are out there and you play dynasty leagues and you have these rookie drafts, if you're looking at drafting a running back with your rookie draft uh, draft pick, if you can only keep these guys for a short period of time, I'm fine with that because the running backs are going to have their, their best set of years for you probably within years one through four, one through five. Wide receivers can last for a long time. So that's why when I have uh, just had one of my rookie drafts, I had three first-round picks because I had made extra trades. I had the number five overall pick where I grabbed Kevin White, well, I can keep him reserved uh, on a reserve roster for two years, so I'm fine with whatever his injury is. Two picks later, I grab Nelson Aguilar, and then three picks later, I grab Brashard Perriman. Well, if these guys end up being the receivers that, that they could be, and what we saw Aguilar do already in the preseason game number one in, in, in Chip Kelly's offense, you now have a perennial top 15, top 10 guy for not four years, not five years, for like six or seven years. I mean, look at Calvin Johnson. It's you know, yeah. You're you're as a running back, you're not putting the stress, the the tax on your body, uh, or as a wide receiver, you're not putting the the stress, the tax on your body that you are running back. I was just in a dynasty, and by dynasty, I mean you know, this is our fourth year. Uh, we're only drafting rookies. There's no tax. You draft them, you keep them until you get rid of them. So I've got guys forever. There, there's no keepers. It's just straight up dynasty. I was pick number three. I got Amari Cooper. I couldn't believe it. First two guys, they, they took running backs, which to me is insane. I know how good Gurley's going to be, and I think Gordon is going to be fantastic. But if you're talking about longevity of career, 
Amari Cooper is going to be there far longer than either of those two guys. I lived a mistake like that. I had lucked out in my 16-team league. I had the number one draft pick. The year, and it, it was, I was trying to win my league. So this is why you do certain things. I had the number one pick. I took Trent Richardson over Andrew Luck. Now, how oh. how much is anyone kicking themselves in the ass on that one? Richardson's basically almost done. The luck is just getting started, and you know that you would have, if I drafted luck, I would have had that quarterback for the next 10 years. He's sitting pretty. Yeah. So thank, yeah. thank God I drafted him in another league, but uh, I, 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 I failed on that league with the Trent Richardson pick. Yeah, that was, uh, I believe that was the year my dynasty league started, and I too took uh, the, uh Trent Richardson that year as well. I I don't think it went before luck, but uh certainly Trent Richardson is still a thorn. He's like he's like one of those slivers that you just can't get out from under the skin, that little bastard. Yeah. Um speaking of you know the draft strat chat, draft uh, stratego, we've been t- looking and uh, this is something I highly advise other folks to do. Go back into your uh, mock drafts and, and see who you're taking, see what you like, see where you went wrong. But going over uh, your past few, if you could kind of break it up, maybe uh, rounds, um, you know, one through five, rounds six through ten, rounds eleven through fifteen. Give me a couple guys that you've been consistently getting in those first five rounds. A couple guys you've been consistently getting in the rounds five through ten or six through ten. A couple guys you've been consistently getting in rounds uh, eleven through sixteen. Yeah. So I mean, especially in the first couple rounds. Um you know, if I'm sitting in that middle of the draft, I'm 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 definitely all over the Des Bryant Julio Jones. I'm 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 I've seemed to be getting one of those two guys when I'm uh, starting my team building from about pick five through pick nine. Um, uh, another guy that I'm consistently seeing a lot of uh, in rounds three is Lamar Miller, and I like the potential that Lamar Miller is showing again with the the huge breakout speed that he has. Um, I am also liking the fact that the guy who I have is my number three quarterback this year. Ben Roethlisberger is a guy that I've been targeting, and it's usually been around, depending around five, six, or seven sometimes. But usually by six is when I'm I'm grabbing him. Uh, and then as you as you get into those those other more middle rounds, that's where I'm really looking at. Uh, you know, the guys like Devonta Adams is a guy that I'm constantly going after just because of the potential that he'll have uh, with uh, Green Bay. Um, I'm also liking uh, Ruben Randall toward the end. Uh, he's usually going around, around 10, 11, 12. Because of the situation of what happens if, if Victor Cruz gets hurt again? What happens if Odell Beckham is just getting triple covered? And then all of a sudden, here's a guy that has a, a bigger role. So, uh, And also is taking strides in, in, in his game as well. So it's interesting, um, you know, the, the the other guy who I'm liking if I'm waiting on on quarterbacks like you did to get Tannehill late in the draft yep. is is just ridiculous. I'm also kind of liking a Joe Flacco over there as well uh, at quarterback. You know, again waiting till like rounds 12 or 13 to grab a guy like this. And this is a guy who's who's done a lot. And I got to remember too. Why does everyone always keep talking about Justin Forsett, Justin Forsett, Justin Forsett with Mark Trestman? How about Joe Flacco? You know, don't you think that the quarterback's also going to get some type of a benefit there? So that's another guy that I'm liking and I'm seeing on a lot of my teams uh, later in the drafts. Good point. What happened to the quarterback whisperer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm I'm four set all the way. I've been I've been loving Hill and four set in those first uh, couple rounds. 
Um, Force, I, I can't say enough about Forsett. There is that dark shadow that bothers me that, that just maybe he's not going to live up to it. But everything I look up, I just love him. Broke 41.7% of his tackles. All eight of his rushing TDs came from inside the red zone. And then he breaks off the long ones. He was second in the league. He had 18 runs go for over 15 yards or more. Um, I, I'm really liking what I see with Forsett. Not much tread on the tires. And, of course, uh, I did the math. Tressman's backs have averaged, and I went back in like 95, 94, um, his, his backs have averaged, I want to say it was 71 or 72 receptions a year. You know, so Forsett had in the 40s last year, uh, where I'm not talking he, he's going to grab Forte numbers or anything, but he is certainly, especially in PPR, he's going to be a big boom. So I'm getting him in uh, one through five. Going down a little bit later, I'm liking Andre Johnson. Uh, I'm, I'm liking Golden Tate. Current ADP is 57 overall, and I think if you saw last night, he busts it. He, last year, no one else had more yards after contact than Golden Tate. He had 709 yards after contact. You saw it again last night. That man gets the ball, and there's no stopping him uh, after he catches it, and he keeps going. Uh, you've heard me talk about Vincent Jackson, certainly Chris Ivory. Uh, Charles Johnson, loving me some Charles Johnson. Uh, Ertz and Daniels, John Brown, loving those guys. And then in the later rounds, Bradford. And, you know, the more and more I'm like, looking at it, I'm liking some, um, some cap. Cameron Artist Payne, because Lord knows Jonathan Stewart's not going to play a full 16 games. The guy that I really like that you're talking about is Charles Johnson. I think Charles Johnson is, uh, pretty much, uh, pretty studly as far as where you're getting him in drafts right now. And this is one of those ones that I think it's going to be, you're going to be hopeful that you have your draft. If you want him uh, before too many more preseason games get played in uh, that, that third preseason game where he probably steps up and shines out really, really strong. So. Okay. okay. Yeah. Charles Johnson, he's a big pyro name. He's a big pyro name. Lots of guys loving him. Hey, uh, Houdini, you know, yeah, I know you and I could do this uh, all night long, but as one of the few pyro guys uh, that have ladies in our life, we want to keep those ladies in our lives. So uh, let's bring it a little bit to a close. Uh, there's that great uh, blues standard, one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. Give me, give me one breakout, one sleeper, and one bust. All right, so a one bourbon, a Brandon Cooks is my uh, breakout player. So... You look at, at the, the potential that Brandon Cooks is going to have. Uh, here's a guy that, as a rookie, he only played in, uh, I want to say it was 10 games that he played in. Uh, he had 69 targets, so he averaged uh, just about seven targets a game. He only had under six targets twice all season. So now you don't have Jimmy Graham there. <laughs> now you have an aging Marcus Colson. You know that everything's going to be kind of going to be run through Brandon Cooks. And they also gave him seven rushing attempts last year, too. So look for him to really have this huge upside. We were super, super high on him last year. I won my bet by calling on Mike Evans last year, being on the, the size of the wide receiver. But on these guys who are shorter, on these under six, under six foot wide receivers, you see huge breakouts in year two. 
That's where you saw Deshaun Jackson have his huge breakout was in year two. So when you're looking at Brandon Cooks, look for – he's my one bourbon, big breakout. So my favorite, one scotch. Uh, so with my one scotch, we'll go for my sleeper, and that sleeper is Charles Clay. And again, you know, we were talking about um, Charles Clay earlier as far as the tight end. They bring him over into um, – uh, to Buffalo from Miami. So he's staying in the same division. Uh, he's a guy that's completely down on, on most everyone's um, uh, ADP and, and they're not targeting him at all. I know that dog and I are, are both extremely high on him. I think I have him as a top 10 uh, at number 10 for, um, uh, for tight ends. And the reason is, is if you, you got to look at what he's done, you know, when you go back a couple of years, it was in 2013, he really started to make some major strides, uh, where he had games receiving of 109 yards, 90 yards, 80 yards, 97 yards, games with, uh, you know, seven catches, seven catches, six catches, six catches, uh, you know, and, and he was scoring some touchdowns. So, I know that the quarterback situation is very iffy over there in Buffalo, uh, but there's a reason why they brought him into that offense, and there's a reason why he's going to he's going to sneak up on a lot of people this year. So I, I like Charles Clay. Uh, and finally, the thing that I like least, because uh, I'm going to call it not not a craft beer, it's just a beer. So this is just a crappy Pilsner, and I'm busting out with Marshawn Lynch. You know, I know I missed on uh, last year. I called for him to be a bust, and it didn't happen. I'm doubling down. I don't care. When you have over the last four years, 285, 315, 301, 280 carries, uh, the effect is going to be felt. Now, he's been a touchdown machine, 12, 11, 12, 13. I'm telling you the Jimmy Graham effect, uh, the aging effect for him, the amount of carries, it's all going to come crashing down. He's still being drafted as in the first round. Um, you know, 29 years old with all those carries. And again, this is a team that, that those are just regular season touches. He also goes into the playoffs. And so you add in over the last, you know, back to 2012, just attempts in the playoffs, another 36, 65, 63. This is a lot of carries. That's, that's, that's more than uh, Andre Ellington had in his rookie season and just in those playoff games. So I'm telling you, Marshawn Lynch is a guy I am staying away from. I like it. Hey, Marshawn Lynch, I've been, I've been waiting for that one, too. I'm a little scared because I was calling him last year to break out or uh, to bust. Excuse me. Uh, so my breakout, I've already talked a lot about John Brown. I, I think he's going to break out. If I'm going super deep, I might pull out a Mike Davis. Uh, for those of you who listened to episode three with me and uh, D-Rex, I even tweeted this out. I had a great uh, chart. Um, pulling up Hyde versus Latavius Murray. I can tweet that one out again. Um, Hyde just doesn't hold a candle to him. And they're, they're switching to elements of the zone blocking scheme. Usually it takes an offensive line about half a season before they really catch up. Uh, I think by that time, they're not going to have the patience for him anymore. They've lost too many offensive uh, linemen. And I think they're going to give Davis a shot. And you know what? He, he's a... A flyer. He's a 16 round guy. He's somebody you can probably even pick up off your waiver wires probably about week seven. If he doesn't work out, you know, throw him back in the sea and uh, let him sleep with the fishes like Luca Brazzi. Um, if I'm going beyond that, my sleeper, Owen Daniels, I, I've talked about this, but uh, Peyton Manning releases the ball in 2.23 seconds, third fastest in the league. Uh, he's 
going to be perfect for that offense. He's been following uh, the coach there, Kubes, around uh, forever. It seems like this is the third team he's on with Kubiak now. Peyton going back 14 years. His tight end has finished seventh best fantasy or better 10 different times. So I think Owen Daniels could be a great sleeper. And bust, I'm going to go with Jordan Cameron. I love the talent that Jordan Cameron has. But coming from sports injury predictor, the guy has pulled hamstring. Concussion number one was 2012. Broken ribs, 2012. Another concussion, 2013. Another concussion, 2014. And according to Jake Davidow, who is a great follow, he's one of the founders of uh, Sports Injury Predictor. Uh, You can follow them at Injury Predictor, or you can follow him at Jake Davidow, J-A-K-E-D-A-V-I-D-O-W. I did a great fantasy football talk with him. Once they hit three concussions, it shows greatly that chances are that it's going to continue and the the problems are just going to mount up. He's already at three concussions, and I think the problems are going to mount up. Love the talent. Very, very skeptical about the injuries coming his way. I'm with you on that. I I, I believe I that that injury predicting thing is very accurate, especially with concussions, especially in this day and age of how the league is going. Because again, if you're susceptible to it, you have a history of it. Well, what happens if you just get a big hit on you? You may not actually be concussed, but because of the protocols that are in place, you're not going to be back on the field. And especially when you have the history that he has. He's going to be looked at even sort of scrutinized even more by the doctors and could potentially lose a lot more playing time uh, sporadically just because of that. Well, and we're seeing the effects now. Guys are thinking about much later in their life. It's not just about football, and he's thinking about family, and uh, I, I just don't see it being something he's going to be willing to, to put it on the line for. I think uh, uh, it, it's not it's not worth it. He's had too many thus far, and he's not going to continue long in the NFL. They call it the not for long league. Houdini, it has been a pleasure, although we're trying to keep the pyro light nice and short, but man, talking FF with you was just too good. So we went a little bit longer this time, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it, my brother. Well, I want to thank you so much for having me on. And it's just one of those things that you got to remember when you bring one of us on from the main podcast, we don't know how to go short. You know, we do everything long. So, but Always pleasure talking with you, Mo. You are uh, a welcome breath of uh, extra fresh air to our Pyro uh, family here, and I love what you're doing, and, and uh, it's just always a pleasure to talk with you. So I'll be happy to come back anytime if you'll have me. Anytime, man. You just say the word. I uh, can't wait to have more of the Pyro brethren on. Until then, Stags and I should be back with you next week, folks, and we will see you on the flip side. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.